So last week, Carol preached a compelling sermon about Paul and his desire to remove any barriers that existed between potential believers and the good news of Jesus Christ and a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Paul's desire throughout all of his missionary journeys was to continue to elevate and make access to Jesus more and more available to more and more people. Carol encouraged us to identify the barriers that existed that we have created ourselves between others outside of the church and a relationship with Christ inside the church. And she encouraged us to tear down those barriers, to remove any barriers that existed between those that don't have a relationship with Christ and those that do. But she also encouraged us with the good news that even when barriers exist, even in our own ignorance or insecurity and a barrier still exists, the Holy Spirit is still actively at work and is still actively transforming lives and bringing people into relationship. And this is truly good news that despite our shortcomings and our insecurities, the Holy Spirit is powerful and is at work transforming lives and bringing restoration to the world. In last week's passage, we saw Paul and Barnabas had a sharp dispute and go their separate ways. Now Paul had gone and was joined by Silas and later joined by Timothy. And throughout the continuation of their journey, Paul continues to tear down barriers. And we saw that sometimes the barriers that existed required significant and sometimes painful sacrifice by those removing those barriers. But consistently throughout Paul's ministry, he preached the message encouraging us to break down barriers. We read this in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, how fully he believes in removing barriers to the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Paul says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul says, I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. You see, Paul's desire was to see more people reached with the good news of Jesus Christ, and that desire would not be stopped. Paul shows us that the good news of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit are truly bigger than any obstacle that could stand in our way. And Paul understands that if our ministry is going to be fruitful for God, we too need to remove those barriers. And likewise, for us today, that if a barrier exists between someone in a relationship with Christ, we need to do all in our power to tear down those barriers to welcome people in to the life-saving relationship. Because the good news that we celebrate this morning is the gospel of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. The gospel of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. That means if we get in the way of the gospel, we will be moved out of the way because the gospel is unstoppable. So here we are. Paul and Barnabas have gone their separate ways. 
But I wanted to recap the journey from last week's text to this week's text. Paul and Silas and Timothy are now traveling together, and through the next couple chapters of the book of Acts, they have traveled more than 400 miles on their journey. In the Bible app live event, I put a map of the journey that they take kind of around the lake. So Paul and Silas and Timothy are traveling, and first they feel, they feel the Spirit calls them to Macedonia. So they go to Macedonia, to the city of Philippi, where they meet a prominent woman in the community named Lydia. Now Lydia was a prominent woman in the community because she owned a business selling purple cloth, which meant she had a lot of workers working for her business. She had amassed quite a bit of wealth and had a home of her own. So when Paul came and preached the good news to Lydia, Lydia heard the news and then followed after Paul and the message of the gospel. Everyone in her household also followed this good news. They were all baptized. And then later on, because of her prominence, because of the fact that she owned a house, her house actually became one of the meeting sites for the church in Philippi. So Paul's mission continues on. When Paul leaves Lydia's house, he's walking through Philippi, and this young girl begins to follow Paul, and she was possessed by a spirit. And she kept proclaiming things about the mission that Paul and Silas were doing, Uh, And Paul got kind of irritated with the spirit that was within her. So Paul turns to this little girl, referenced in the text as a slave girl, looks directly at her and speaks to the spirit within her, chapter 16, verse 18, and tells the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. So in that very instance, the spirit listens to Paul and exits this little girl. And so all of a sudden, this little slave girl who worked for her owners, so the spirit that was within her allowed her to be a prophet and to tell uh, the fortune-telling. And so people would come to her and pay her owners so that she could tell their fortunes. So Paul demands the spirit exit her body. The spirit leaves her, and immediately this business that these, these slave owners had is disrupted. The power that they had in their community to tell the fortunes was all of a sudden gone. So this little girl is experiencing freedom because Paul is bringing the good news of Christ, which brings freedom, but her owners are experiencing loss and anger and frustration. You see, Paul, along his whole journey, is known for bringing freedom and hope in Christ, but with those who have power in the current community or in the current context, it might feel like loss. So either way, the slave owners bring Paul and Silas to the leadership of the city so that they might be punished for what they had just done. They bring Paul and Silas before the leadership of the city and the whole crowd around them in the city understands the frustration that Paul and Silas, or that the slave owners are experiencing and they continue to beat, uh, beat Paul and Silas for the disruption of power that they've caused in Philippi. After the leadership had deemed that Paul and Silas were in the wrong, and after they had been severely beaten, they were thrown into prison. And the prison guard at the prison was told, make sure you guard them very carefully. Because the leadership in Philippi wanted to make sure that what happened to these slave owners didn't continue to happen when Paul continues to preach freedom to those that are oppressed. And if you've been worshiping here for a while, a few months back, pre-COVID, we had a prison cell up here on the sanctuary. And Perry Kirkham and myself played the role of Paul and Silas. And there were four other prisoners in jail, and there was a dog, and they were singing doom and gloom songs. Well, 
as the story goes, Paul and Silas are singing praises to God and praying to God. And in the middle of the night, the earth trembles and the jail cell miraculously opens. The prison guard wakes up from all of the commotion and sees that the jail cell has been opened and is going to take his own life because he's so convinced that they must have run away. Paul sees this happening and stops the man and says, no, we're all still here. You don't need to take your life. And in this brief interaction between Paul and the jail, uh, the prison guard, he turns towards Christ. And he and his whole family are then baptized as well. So Paul and Silas are released from prison the next day, and they continue on their missionary journey to Thessalonica. You see, a consistent theme throughout Paul's journey is this. When Paul's message is heard, the leadership in whatever city he happens to be in, if it's Philippi or Ephesus or Athens, they consistently hear Paul's message as subversive, and it consistently causes concern that the people are going to revolt or rebel. Paul's perspective in the message of Jesus Christ causes a clash of cultures in every city he goes to. And these clashes cause the leadership concern because they don't want to lose the power and the prestige and the authority that they have gained in their own social circle. The same could be said in our context today, in our culture today, that when something is presented to us that's a truth that we don't understand as a truth, there's at least a temptation within us to push back against this new information in effort to retain the truth that we currently know. There's at least an effort to push back on this new information in effort to retain the position of authority that we've been given or that we feel we've earned in our current cultural setting. So again, we see this sentiment lived out in the first verses of chapter 17 of Paul's journey. So Paul is now in Thessalonica, and it says that Paul and Silas are preaching and teaching in the synagogue in Thessalonica for three weeks. During this three-week period, people begin to hear Paul's message, begin to be persuaded by Paul's message, and begin to follow Paul and Jesus. And it says that some of the Jews began to follow, a large number of God-fearing Greeks, a number of the leading women. Now this is huge for Paul and the mission, and it's huge for the mission of the church in general. However, again, we see the leadership in Thessalonica are not very happy about this transition of followers and they become furious. Again, people in the synagogues are experiencing freedom because of the relationship with Jesus Christ, their newfound freedom, knowing the truth. And this freedom causes them liberation. And the liberation they experience causes frustration to the leadership in Thessalonica. Like the little slave girl being freed from the spirit that was inside of her, these people in Thessalonica are experiencing this newfound freedom in Christ, but there's a transfer of power when they experience this newfound freedom. Because now they're aligning to a new king, King Jesus. Paul and Silas are preaching and teaching about a new king, a new kingdom, where Jesus is king and Lord, and everyone in Thessalonica in leadership understands that Caesar is rightfully the king. So the current leadership in Thessalonica understood Caesar to be king, and now Paul is declaring something that conflicts with what they believe to be the truth, and they begin to push back. Instead of opening their hearts and their minds to a conversation with this new truth that Paul seems to be proclaiming, the leadership forms a large group of people with the sole objective of disrupting the work of Paul and Silas. 
The message translation says, after Paul and Silas were preaching and teaching for these three weeks, uh, the hard-lined Jews became furious over the conversion, mad with jealousy. It says they rounded up a bunch of brawlers off of the streets and soon had an ugly mob terrorizing the whole city as they hunted down Paul and Silas. These Jews were so concerned that Paul and Silas were causing a shift in the authority that they had, in the leadership that they had, that they wanted to rouse the whole city in effort to shut down the teachings of Paul and Silas. They wanted to rouse the whole city and sacrifice the peace that existed in the city in effort to shut down the message from continuing to spread. The NIV translates these additional agitators as bad characters from the marketplace. Another translation says wicked men from the marketplace. This is bad news. The Jews see that Paul and Silas are, are gaining traction in Thessalonica, and so they are seeking to find anyone in the city who will go out with them to cause a disruption in the city to stop the spread of Paul and Silas and their message. The Jewish leaders don't want to talk to Paul. They don't want to hear his new teachings. They just want to shut it down. So here again is the consistent recurring theme that Paul's words are transformative. People hear the message of Paul. The leadership perceives it as a threat because people are associating with Jesus instead of the existing kingdom. So the leadership organizes themselves to silence Paul's teaching. But time and time again, Paul is well cared for and the church and the mission continue to press forward. And this goes to highlight the good news that the gospel of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. And the Holy Spirit is at work and will continue to move the mission forward. In this particular case, the city of Thessalonica is in an uproar. My imagination paints a picture similar to what we've seen on the news over the past few weeks or months, where there's looting and rioting with the intention of silencing Paul and his message. But this is how society was conditioned to respond, that when the hurt and the frustration was so raw that the only thing they could think to do was cause a disruption. Sometimes the pain is so raw and heightened that our only option is to cause an uproar. In effort to protect Paul from the uproar, his followers send him to the next city. We read that Paul and Silas were sent away by night to the city of Berea. So when Paul arrives, Paul does what Paul does, and he continues to preach and teach in the synagogues and really to anyone who would listen. And more and more people began believing the message of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel that he was presenting. We read in Acts 17, verse 12, that as a result of Paul's teaching, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Word of this continued influence that Paul was having in a city 50 miles removed from Thessalonica got back to the angry mob in Thessalonica, and so they set off to disrupt the movement in Berea as well. The message translation says they lost no time responding and created a mob scene there as well. And this leads us to this morning's text where Paul boards a boat, leaving Berea, and is sent on his way to Athens. Timothy and Silas stay behind in Berea. And now I have to wonder why Timothy and Silas stay behind in Berea and Paul leaves on a boat to Athens. But my mind has, the, the 
author Luke doesn't give us a lot of reasoning for this decision in their journey. But I have to wonder if Paul, Timothy and Silas are staying behind as a diversion to the oncoming mob that's coming to agitate what's happening in this city. And so if the mob makes it to Berea and sees that Timothy and Silas are still there teaching, they may assume that Paul is still there as well and stay there for a while, thus allowing Paul more time in Athens to teach and to preach without being disrupted by this group. Anyways, alas, Paul is in Athens, and the text starts off by setting the scene in Athens. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens. While Paul was waiting in Athens, he just started to explore the city. I imagine like a tourist exploring a city without much of an agenda in mind. Paul is exploring the city of Athens, observing his surroundings. And then the author Luke, the author of Acts, tells us that Paul becomes greatly distressed to see the city so full of idols. Paul's on his missionary journey proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and proclaiming the good news of the gospel and inviting people into relationships. And he enters into Athens to see that this city has clearly already constructed what religion looks like for them. They have all of these idols that they're already worshiping. And so I have to wonder if Paul's distress is related to this reality. Like the author doesn't give us much more into his distress, but depending on the translation, it says he was distressed or angered or provoked by all of the idols present around him. Some scholars suggest that there were some 30,000 idols present in the city of Athens when Paul would have arrived on his missionary journey. Directly contrasting to the number of people physically living in Athens, there were only 10,000 people living in the city. So Idols were outnumbering people three to one. And so Paul is distressed because there's this whole polyistic thing going on where idols are outnumbering the people significantly and he's distressed. Either way, Paul begins to share the good news of the gospel like he does on his missionary journey. He persists. Paul's message seems to be gaining some traction in Athens because the people began to talk about it with each other considering what they should do with this message that Paul was bringing. His message, it says, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. You see, to the people of Athens, Paul was incredibly intriguing to them because he was bringing them news of new ideas to their ears. And they perceived the information that he was bringing them to be proclaiming two new gods, one that was named Jesus and another named Resurrection. And for all we know, there may have been an idol maker on call waiting to build an idol to these two new gods that the Athenians were hearing about from Paul because they were intrigued. And as I was sitting with this story and discerning what could possibly be for us today with Paul exploring idols in Athens, I could not help but continually think about Facebook. As we navigate a global pandemic through social distancing and stay-at-home orders, we have transitioned from face-to-face in-person conversations to this odd conversation model 
where one person creates a statement and communicates it in their own little vacuum, and then someone else can respond in their own little vacuum, and then still other people can respond to this conversation, none of it taking place face to face. Until the whole conversation has continually deteriorated in what seems like hate speech and division. And what's worse is that people who are not even involved in the initial conversation can happen upon this conversation much later and then make assumptions about everyone involved in the conversation based on their trajectory that it took down into deterioration. And now I'm not the only one who's been disappointed by the hate-filled conversations we see circulating on Facebook. But when I see my brothers and my sisters in Christ speaking hatred towards one another... I lament, and I grieve. But this isn't a new reality. I mean, Facebook has been the home of conversations gone bad for a long time. But in our current pandemic world, these conversations have become much more prevalent. All this in the midst of heightened awareness of the racial injustice in our country. All this in the midst of increased political polarization in our country. And we see our brothers and our sisters tearing each other down. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. So you may be wondering, why am I thinking about Facebook while Paul is walking through Athens? And I think verse 21 shines a light on our current realities quite well. It says, All the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. It says all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. If this isn't a direct representation to a COVID-19 season Facebook, I don't know really what is. Spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to new ideas. So here's Paul walking through a city with 30,000 idols present in the city, probably more being produced on a regular basis, Because all they were doing was talking about and listening to the latest idea. And when a new idea came about, they likely would assess it for its validity. If they agreed with it, they would idolize that thing until another idea came about. There may have been arguments about the different idols that existed in the city. But each person would hold their own ground, believing strongly that what they believed was the truth, and that's all that mattered. So when Paul enters Athens, I have to imagine his distress in some way is related to the perception that the Athenians have it all figured out. They already know their own truth, and their minds are already geared toward a polytheistic religion focused on all of the idols around them. But at least in Athens, the people could have face-to-face, in-person conversations So as Paul is walking through Athens, distressed at what he has seen, he's at least able to have conversations with the Athenians based on their idols, and he's able to address it face to face. I think as a society today, we have so idolized our life and our identity that we have unintentionally or intentionally built up barriers that are prohibiting us from having Christ-centered conversations. We have so idolized the Democratic Party or the Republican Party that we even seen someone's affiliation with the party that's opposite from where we identify shuts down 
that conversation, prevents open conversation, and prevents open dialogue. We have so idolized the words black lives matter or blue lives matter or all lives matter that even seeing that on someone's social media or in their voice, it prevents us from an open dialogue about the vast injustices that exist in our culture and our society every day. I think idolization and demonization are two sides to the same coin. When we idolize something, anything that goes against that idol is demonized. And when we demonize something, we close our hearts and our minds to anything that even comes close to involving that conversation. In our current world reality, where we've moved more and more of our social interactions to digital platforms like Facebook, we are beginning to expose more and more of our idols. We are about to enter the most divisive season we have seen in a very long time. As political campaigns ramp up their communication and their activity on Facebook, Facebook is going to be increasingly filled with hatred and division. We are going to see idols elevated like they have never been elevated before. We are going to see people protecting those idols like never before at all costs. At the cost of relationships, at the cost of kingdom advancement. So you see, Paul enters into Athens. He sees all of the idols around him and he's very distressed because he assumes that people are going to be closed off to hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and starting a life saving relationship with him. And like today, we see our brothers and our sisters stirring hate and sharing hateful words on Facebook in support of or in condemnation of something that we hold near and dear to us. We see these words and we make an assumption that there's no room for additional conversation here. And we either move on or we dig in and we engage in a deteriorating conversation that leads to hatred and all parties leave feeling discouraged and disconnected and further isolated. So what should we do? It doesn't appear that the end of this pandemic is near in sight. Like all of a sudden we're going to go back to the old way and the old normal where we're having conversations in groups. It appears like this is going to be the new normal for some time. So let's look and see what Paul did. After exploring Athens and speaking to whoever would listen, he's brought to the leadership in Athens to explain what he is teaching. When Paul goes before the Areopagus, he starts off by stating the reality that he is noticing in the city of Athens. He says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Paul recognizes the passion of the people and then takes that passion and shares with them the truth of the gospel in a way that they will hear it. Paul does not immediately condemn their idolatry, but instead finds a way to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people. Paul sees an opportunity to share the gospel with the people present that day, exposing them to who their unknown God truly was. In a very concise way, 
Paul seeks to explain and unfold the gospel message. He says that God was the creator and Lord, that God does not dwell in temples and does not need anything from us, that God is the giver of all good gifts and that all of humanity is God's offspring. And we are all from one man and therefore all of humanity is equal. It says God is the director of history and God is near to every human being. God is gracious And he has overlooked our ignorance, but now that we know the good news, we are invited to repent and follow God. Finally, Paul tells them that a day has been set when God will judge the world with justice in light of Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. So after presenting the gospel message to the Areopagus, including the resurrection of Jesus Christ, some laughed and walked away making jokes about what Paul was delivering, but others began to follow, including Dionysus, a member of the leadership council, and Damaris, his wife. And the reason I think Luke includes these two names is to show that even the highest leadership in Athens, those likely most bought in to the way the city was working, even they found truth in the gospel of Jesus that Paul was proclaiming. So what do we do in our current climate? I think we seek to follow Paul's example that he used in Athens. Although Paul was greatly distressed about all of the idols present around him, he allows the Holy Spirit to speak through him. Paul does not condemn the Athenians for their ignorance. Instead, he meets them where they are and seeks to draw them closer to Christ. He sees their passionate pursuit of the gods around Athens and he finds a way to communicate the gospel message with them in a way that they will receive it. Instead of focusing on what separates Paul and the Athenians, Paul sought to share the gospel in terms that they would be able to understand. So as we navigate the divided season ahead of us, here are our next steps. We need to focus on sharing the good news of the gospel, even with those with whom we disagree. We need to find the good news of the gospel and communicate it in a way that continues to break down barriers and continues to remove idols. We need to share the love of Christ and we need to be the love of Christ. Hatred will continue to divide us, but love, the love of Christ, can and will unite us. So let us be agents in our communities for unity and love. Let us pray.